Organissima New York. Your exotic skin, hair and beauty source and your one-stop shop for all your natural and organic skin and hair care. Featuring authentic organic Moroccan oil and prickly pear seed oil and much more. Bringing you only the best straight from the source and proudly produced in the USA. So what are you waiting for? Shop today at www.arganissima.com Arganissima, New York. Your beauty is our duty. Folks, welcome back to the iHealth Channel, iHealth Radio, with your host, Hurricane H. New day, new show, new guest, a spin on things, a, uh, a very important topic that we have not yet uh, tackled or covered on the channel. And uh, we've covered, you know, like almost sisters or brothers or family members of this topic. We've talked about uh, arts and healing, arts and health. We've talked about dancing and, you know, in, in the worlds of you know, health and fitness and wellness, but we have not talked about something that can almost connect to both, which is music. Music is another form of, of really a resource for people to heal. And with me today, a musician, an author uh, who has actually been doing this for years and has impacted lives and not only has impacted lives, he has testimonials of people that actually have literally written him uh, real messages about how his music contributed to their mental, physical, and so on and so forth. But today, you know, our guest is going to share with us that story. Also, he's an author of a book, and we're going to talk about the story of the book, what inspired him, the name, so on and so forth. So with me today, Dave comes, you know, all the way from North Carolina. Hello, Dave. Welcome to the show. Hurricane, it's great to be here. It's good to uh, spend an evening chatting with somebody who's interested in music and everything health related. And the, we're just going to explore the topic tonight and have a good time. That's it. That's it. Well, it's a music. I think everybody loves music, right? <laughs> well, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know it's funny. You walk in, you hear a tune and everybody starts move, moving. doesn't matter what kind of, you know, level of music mm -hmm. it is. Either it mellows you down or it gets you hyper. One way or the other, it gets to you. So, <laughs> yep, you know, that's right. Many people use it at night to just kind of wind down and relax. Uh, many people use it for work, so it keeps them, you know, connected. We see music at, you know, uh, artists actually using music to actually, you know, inspire them. Uh, we've seen people working out to music, so it's it's all kind of stuff, right? Now, I know you're a pianist, right? Is that the only music you play, or you have other instruments that you Prim actually play? Primarily the piano, the keyboard, that's that's my main instrument. I've, you know, I've, yeah, I strum a guitar, but I would not call me a, <laughs> myself a guitarist, but I, I know how to play a C chord and F chord and G chord on a guitar, yes, but, but my instrument is the piano primarily. Well, it looks like a traditional piano, which means you play some real traditional, comfortable music, right? And so let's talk about your journey. I mean, obviously, uh, that's not something you started with in your life, or maybe it was a hobby. So guide us through your journey, how you got into the music first. And uh, I'm sure you've done something else in, for life at the same time. And you and I had a little chat on the side. So, right. so how did that even man? How did you manage your regular life with music and connected that and made 
your music uh, a career path, if you want to call it, or something that got you as a, a motivation and inspiration for yourself? Well, I kind of consider music as a, like a foundation of my life. You know, I was born to parents that both played the piano. My father played the piano by ear. He he could read a little bit of music, but mostly he just forget about reading music. He just sit down and play something. My mother's took piano lessons when she was a little girl. And she can read me. She could play the hymns out of the hymn book and whatever. And my grandmother Combs was born in 1894. And before they even had electricity in the churches or whatever, she would play what was called an old pump organ. You literally pumped the organ with your feet to get the air moving through the organ. And she would play that organ and sing. And then her favorite instrument, I have it right here, because she gave it to me in her will when she passed away. It is an auto harp. This is my grandmother's auto harp. And in fact, the note that was with it says, you can probably read this. This is this harp is to, to David belongs Combs. to David Combs, <laughs> Granny Estelle Combs. She signed it. Said this this one's mine because every time I'd go see Granny in her little tiny house in Southwest Virginia, she'd hand me her auto harp. She said, "David, would you tune this up for me?" And I said, "Okay." She'd give me. I'd take the key and I would tune it up by ear and get it so it sounded good, and I'd hand it back to her. And she would just tear loose on that thing and play and sing. And just, you know, my earliest memories of her are playing that auto harp and singing, you know, the old hymns, whether it's Amazing Grace or all those wonderful hymns that she loved to sing. So I guess, you know, music is kind of a foundation, I think, in my life. It's, it's just been there from the beginning and stayed with me my entire life. Now, in my, my professional career, I've graduated from high school, went to, on to college. I was a math major, a physics minor, and I worked in the computer center for four years learning how to program computers. And I, my first and only corporate job out of college was with a company called Western Electric, which was a subsidiary of the Bell system. Mm. And they made all the telephone equipment in the whole country back then. And my job was a computer programmer, but it didn't even call it an IT or anything. It was just I was a computer programmer. But all my career, staying with Western Electric, which later became AT&T, was in the technology field. So I guess you could call me kind of a techie kind of person. I, I love technology, still do, but my music was always there, as I said, kind of as an under, a, a underbed under everything I did. And so I would come home from work at a busy day at the office. thing I would do to relax is something that almost every musician I know does. And that's sit down at their instrument. Mine, in my case, was the piano. And I play something. Or when I'm playing, when you're playing the piano or playing a guitar or playing whatever it is that you play, I think it just takes you to another place. You can relax. The stress level in your life just goes, ooh, comes on down. Things kind of slow down and you feel better. And, and so for me, all my life, music was my stress reducer. It was just that way. Well, I'd been working for Western Electric for, I guess, about uh, 11, 12 years, and I was 33 years old. This was in 1981. I came home from work one day, and I sat down at my piano, and I started playing this song. And I played, it was in the key of C, a very simple melody, and I just played it, and it was great. It had a verse, and it had a chorus, and I played it. it sounded great. I didn't think much about it. Because first of all, it wasn't a, something that I'd ever heard before. It was just something I just played it. Well, 
couple of days later, my wife Linda comes home from her job, and she says, Dave, what is this song I've had stuck in my head all day long? You know, you get an earworm, and you just, you're humming that song all day long. Well, she hummed a little bit of it, and, and I said, well, it doesn't have a name. And she says, what? Uh, she said, you play it on the piano all the time. I said, yeah, but it's just something I made up. It doesn't have a name. And she got all excited. She says, well, have you written it down? I said, well, no, I've got it up here. I'm not going to forget it. She says, nope, you got to write that down. Something might happen to you, and that song would be gone. So sure enough, I said, okay, I will. And I just happened to have right here in my hand, this is what I wrote down. This is the song. It doesn't even have a title. It's just a simple melody with, in the key of C. And I wrote the chords and the melody line down on, on a piece of music manuscript. And put it in the piano bench. Played it every now and then. We tried to think of a name for it. Ah, nothing, nothing we came up with. Two years later, some good friends of ours have a little baby girl named Rachel. And they asked me and Linda to be her godparents. Okay, so we're sitting there at little Rachel's christening service in this little country church, just us and the family and the minister. And at the front of the church is this beautiful baby grand piano sitting right in the middle of the platform. And so at the, toward the end of the service, after hearing all these, the minister saying all these wonderful words of blessings about little Rachel, I punched Linda and I said, hey, what do you think about me playing this song now as part of the service? It just seems like the perfect, perfect place for it. Okay. So I went up and asked the family and the minister if it'd be okay if I played the song on the piano. Sure. So I walked over to the piano, sat down, started playing this song. Sounded beautiful. You know, the church wasn't full, so it was a good echo sound through this fairly empty church and sounded wonderful. And then toward the end of the song, I hear this <clears throat> clearing her throat and <laughs> little sniffles here and there. And <laughs> I noticed that my, I was starting, my eyes were starting to leak a little bit too. And it was a very touching emotional experience. And when I finished playing the song, I looked over at little Rachel in the arms of her mother. And I said, from now on, this song will be called Rachel's song in her honor. And Hurricane, that's exactly how it got its name, and it was the perfect name for the song. It fit, and it's been that way ever since. How old is Rachel now? <laughs> oh, gosh. This was in 1983, so what, what would that be? Uh, uh, 38, 39. 39 years old, somewhere around there. Yeah. yeah. So, wow. so she's a young lady with a song named after her now. So <laughs> <laughs> anyhow, so that's how it got the name, and that was in 1983. Well, then I, I was still busy, busy, busy with my job at AT&T and it, our Western Electric, which became AT&T in 1984 when they dissolved the Bell system, basically broke it up. Mm -hmm. So I was then working in 1986 for AT&T. And my job at that time was to travel around the country to the various factories, and we had them all over the United States to implement some new software for the factory. It was called MRP, but it's manufacturing requirements planning. It was I was an expert in that field. And so I was my job was to help them with implementation of new software. One of the plants factories that I needed to go to and spent a lot of time at was in Nashville, Tennessee. Well, Hurricane, you've probably been to Nashville. I haven't, but it's music. Oh, you haven't? Well, now, you, now that's a, you put that on your bucket list. That's it gotta is. Be a, that's got to be a place to go. It's called Music City USA for a good reason. 
everything in that town seems to be about music. Well, Linda, my wife, now she's the one that comes up with all these great ideas, I think. So <laughs> she says, while you're in Nashville, why don't you get a demo professional recording made of this song you've written? And something we can have and something we could give to Rachel's family to enjoy, that kind of thing. So I said, great idea. So I'm driving around Nashville one evening after work, and I'm looking for a studio. And I go to a part, of, they have a part of town that they call Music Square. It's about a two or three square block area that everything in it is, has to do with music. There's the Country Music Hall of Fame. There's ASCAP headquarters, BMI headquarters, there's recording studios all over the place. There's the RCA recording, original recording studio that, that tourists can tour, actually. And so I'm driving down this one little side street called Roy Acuff Place. Now, Roy Acuff was a very famous musician, well-loved in Nashville. They named a street after him. And so I'm driving down Roy Acuff Place, and at the end of the street, there's this big building with a barn-shaped roof, and at the, on the street corner is this big water wheel, like they, you know, you'd see at a big mill someplace on the parkway or wherever. Mm -hmm. And on the side of the building, it says, The Music Mill. I said, okay. <laughs> so I pull in the parking lot. Sure enough, I look in the window, and there's a man sitting in the lobby. So I go over and knock on the door. He unlocks it and opens it up and says, hi, I'm George Clinton. Can I help you? Now, it's not the George Clinton that immediately came to your mind. It's a different George Clinton. He's a recording engineer in Nashville. And so he says, I'm George Clinton. Can I help you? And I said, I've got a demo of a song that I need to get recorded, and I'm looking for a studio. And so he smiles and he says, well, come on in, Dave. And so I go into the lobby and over on the big two-story lobby and on the left wall, is a huge life-size picture of Glenn Campbell. Right in front of me is this huge, big panoramic picture of the group Alabama. And over here is the Forrester sisters. And then there's all these gold records and platinum records framed on the wall. You've, you've seen pictures of studios mm -hmm, that, mm -hmm. you know, you're going to put all those wonderful awards that you've got up on the wall. So I obviously had landed in a studio and I told George that I said, I've never been in a studio before. And he says, well, no problem. He said, there's nobody recording right now, which is unusual. Let me give you a tour of the place. Okay. So let's go to Studio A. All right, over here in Studio A is the big room where all the musicians set up. You could put an orchestra in that room. I mean, it was huge. And then he said, let's, and there was a big concert grand piano in there and all kinds of other little side rooms for the drummers and vocalists and that kind of thing. He said, let's go in the control room where all the magic happens. <laughs> so, okay. So he opens up this soundproof thick door. You've probably seen them. They're, they're really thick doors. You open it up and you go in. First thing I see is the console. This thing was about eight feet long. It had, I later learned, it had about 32 tracks, 32 channels, sliders and buttons and knobs and switches and lights. I said, golly, George, you could launch a, a spaceship from this room. <laughs> And, he's, and I, I said, how much does a place like this cost? And he said, well, it's $125 an hour plus engineer. Now, this was 1986. You That's roll forward. That was a lot of money back then. And in fact, if you roll it to today's dollars, it's probably over $400 an hour. So that wasn't cheap. 
Well, and that was a whole lot more than I made, of course. And I, I'm sure he saw how probably how disappointed I was in that figure. And he says, well, Dave, don't worry about it. He said, the fellow who owns this studio owns a little tiny studio across the street. It's in a little what used to be a rent house. It's just got a baby grand piano and a small console. It's probably got, you know, a 24 track console, whatever. Good equipment and it'll do the job for you. And it's $15 an hour. I said, okay. All right. Now we're talking. Okay. All right. So, George, now what I need, all I need is a musician that will arrange and record my song for me. I need a good piano player. Somebody really can play that piano. He, he thought for a second. He says, I know just the person for you. He said, his name is Gary Prim. He said, I go to church with Gary. I've known him all my life. He said, he's a wonderful piano player, a wonderful person. He said, let me, let's go back to my desk and I'll look up his phone number for you. So he did and wrote it on a piece of paper and gave it to me. And I thanked him profusely and I got my back in my rental car and I hightailed it to back to my hotel room so I could give him a call. Now, some of your listeners are going to say, well, why do you call him on your cell phone? Well, <laughs> this, is 19, <laughs> this is 1986. Number one, cell phones hadn't even been invented. The Internet didn't even exist. So, you know, I had to have a landline to call. So I go to the hotel room, call Gary, and got his answering machine. About 30 minutes, he calls me back and then says, hi, this is Gary. Can I help you? I said, yeah, I told him what I needed about the song and everything. I said, what do I need to send you to do this? And, he said, ah, just send me a recording of you playing it so I'll know what it sounds like, sort of, and send me a lead sheet. I said, okay, what's a lead sheet? <laughs> I had no idea what he was talking about. And, of course, I do now, but <laughs> it's kind of silly now, but I didn't know what it was. It turns out, he says, well, it's pretty simple. It's just the melody and the chords written out on a piece of paper. Well, I said, I've got that. I just didn't know to call it a lead sheet. So when I got back home, I made a copy of that piece of paper, that one exactly right there, and sent it along with a tape recording of me playing the song. And on August the 20, a couple of weeks later, August the 22nd, 1986, at 6 p.m., I met Gary at this little tiny studio in Nashville across from the music mill. Gary comes walking in with his Yamaha DX7 analog synthesizer under his arm and comes in and he's a mighty friendly fellow. We just hit it off immediately, just instant friends. So he sets up in the, in the, the, the music room part of where the little baby grand piano is. And I'm in the control room with the engineer. Pretty soon Gary's warmed up on the piano. He says, all right, I'm ready. Let's do this thing. So the engineer pushes record on the rec recording machine and then uh, Gary starts playing. Now, Hurricane, I had never, ever heard anybody play my music, that song, but me. And so I had no idea what to expect. You know, when, you, when you're going to pay somebody to do something and arrange it and do it special, some, you know, you, <laughs> you get, you're not sure what you're going to get. But I could not believe my ears. What Gary played on that piano was incredible. And he got most of the way through the song and he stopped. He hit the keys and he says, Rewind. Let's let's just start all over. Let's just do. I can do better than that. We rewound the tape. Start over. Second time through, he played it from beginning to end. Not did not miss a note. I mean, it was perfect. Absolutely perfect. And if he'd have stopped right there, I would have been as happy as I could be, because it was better than anything I could have imagined. But Gary says, "No, I'm not done yet." He says, 
I'm going to do something special with this song. He said, I think I'm going to add some electric piano sound on top of the acoustic piano. I'm going to double those. He called it doubling. I'm going to play the same thing I played on the piano on the electric keyboard, which will make those notes sound a lot richer and fuller. Okay. So we've two more tracks on the recording and he's sitting there with his headphones on like you got on and he's listening to the original part. And then he's playing along with himself on the uh, keyboard. He played the electric piano part, nailed it. I mean, you, when you listen to the recording and everybody that's listening to this, I'm sure hopefully when we're finished, I want you to go listen to it. You, you can't tell that there's not but one instrument playing. He nailed those notes and it was just amazing to me. Then he said, okay, this song needs some, some bottom and it needs some top. So he said, I'm going to put some low strings in here. And then I want to put in some high strings, you know, like violins or whatever. So two more tracks. He sits there and records the low strings. Two more tracks. Sits there and records the high strings. And he said, now, here in the middle part of it, I think some of it needs a little punch. He said, I'm going to put some horns in there, just some horn sound to give it a little extra fullness there. Two more tracks, records the horn sound. Then he sits there and he said, all right, I think I'm done. So he comes into the control room. We all sit there and the engineer rewinds everything, plays all the tracks together, and we're listening to the song. Oh, I am absolutely beside myself. I wish I had a video of me that time because I'm sure I had my mouth open and my eyes wide open. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. It sounded better than anything I'd ever heard on the radio. You know, I'm a, I have always had a great ear for songs on the radio. When I heard a song that was going to be, I could always tell when it was going to be number one. First time I ever heard it, I said, that's a hit. That's number one. I never missed one of those. You know, things like Hey Jude, those kind of songs. When first time I ever heard it, man, that's, that's got to be it. So I knew this song was fantastic. So I was so happy. Well, I paid Gary his, his agreed upon, wrote him a check for the agreed upon fee, and he packed up his synthesizer, and, and he left. And it's just me and the engineer there left to mix it down to two-track stereo for my master tape, and he made me some cassette tape copies to take home with me. Paid him his fee, and I left. And that night of recording that song, I, I remember walking out of there thinking to myself, this is it. This is it. Now, I had no clue what it was, but I knew that this was it. <laughs> Whatever, it was going to be something special. So that night, Hurricane literally changed the, the, the direction of the rest of my life. Well, Dave, this is a, uh, you, you're staying in your story and I'm just literally just immersed into it right now. I mean, I was literally visualizing every single moment you just actually, you know, covered there. I'm, I'm looking at the studio. I'm trying to figure out the keyboards. I'm talking, looking at the instruments, the booth and everything, all the, 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 uh, the, the platform that you had in front of you and all those knobs and things. But, but, but you, the story, and I, and I can feel it. I mean, I know that when you go to studio, the sounds are different. I mean, technology makes everything different. Uh, the uh, the walls, I mean, the surround, the system there, everything is is eco-friendly. And, and you can, I'm not talking about echo as in echo. I'm talking about just the echo sound is acoustically yeah. well. And, and it really, it's a different experience. I mean, just like when you, you, you have like some surround, you know, system around you right now today in technology, 
Uh, but you were talking about some, like you're talking about cassette tapes and you're talking about some stuff. <laughs> I'm, I'm oh. just thinking like some of the, the like, new folks today. But yeah, look at that. <laughs> Is that the original? <laughs> that is the, one of the original cassette tapes of Rachel's song. And <laughs> that's it right there. Wow. Well, you know what they do now with these, you know, these, these old, you know, cassettes and stuff and they remix them now and digitize them. Forget about it. It's even much, much better sound and, and quality. But the experience now, now there's two things I want to just kind of take a moment to break the story, uh, not so much just about what you've done, achieved, but really for people that are young and, you know, aspiring to maybe something. And a lot of people love to do things and some mm -hmm. people enjoy music. Here you are in the 80s. Uh, life is different. You said it. The Internet didn't exist. You cannot, you said, I wish I could, I could have a camera today. You just put a freaking phone in front of you and have a selfie or have a video <laughs> or a TikTok or something of yourself doing this. You couldn't do that. Then you'll have to have literally a camera with, with, you know, big tapes and all that. Oh stuff. yeah. Uh, you know, it's amazing how it is. The internet was not there, but, but the atmosphere was also different. I mean, you walked into some real studio production spaces and, and those mm -hmm. were like, that's like, I mean, you said it, these guys produce some real talent out there and, here you are, but a lot of people may be shy today. They're like, well, nobody's going to listen to me. You, you walked in with a song and that's it. Here it is. Let's listen. And he likes, and now he tells you, listen, we'll do it. Obviously they're in, in for business. They will listen mm -hmm. to something. If they like it, they produce it. All you did right now is produce it. Uh, we're going to talk about the next stage. Cause I know you had <laughs> it going in a lot of other things, but, but that was the first thing. So the first step for our listeners and audiences, wh whatever age you are, whatever your ambition is, if you're into music and you want to do this, do exactly what Dave did. He, he did his thing. He wrote it. He little by little things happen. Now he has a name. Now he has a live. Now it's recorded. Now it's like digitized in a well. It wasn't digitized the, the, the new way, but it was mm -hmm. digitized then. We can refer to it as digitized then because <laughs> yeah. it was literally produced professionally. Right. And that was that was the first step. Now, let's talk about the next step. So you have the tape. This is it. What was the next move that you did? What was your next step? I mean, because I know there's there's more to the story. Oh, yes, indeed, there is. In fact, there's enough to fill up a book. In fact, I, that's, that's what my book is really all about, is what happened next is really the rest. As you remember, Paul Harvey, that's the rest of the story here is uh, all of what happened next. Well, now that I had this wonderful recording, my first inclination was I have to play it for somebody else. I, it, it just blew me away, and I wanted to share it. I wanted you know, when you like it's anytime you've got something great, you want to share it with your friends and anybody that, that will stand still long enough to listen to it. I got back to my hotel room that night and and called my wife, Linda, of course, and told her about it. I didn't even have any way for her to hear it. And so she had to wait till I got back home to actually hear it. And so here after I talked to Linda, I hung up the phone and I'm sitting in my hotel room and I am so antsy I can't stand myself. And I said, I got to go play this song for somebody. Here's what I did. I went out, got in my rental car. I drove to a shopping center and I found a Circuit City. That was the <laughs> store that sold stereo equipment. I, I found a Circuit City. I walked in that store with my, my demo cassette tape that the that, that, that engineer made for me. And I walked, found me a salesperson. I said, uh, <clears throat> can you show me your very best high-end equipment that, that could play a cassette of some music? And he said, oh, let's go over here into this big, the big room, the high-end stuff. Okay. So I said, okay, get in there. I said, now, I want you to play this cassette tape 
on the best machine you got and put it on the biggest, best speakers you got and turn it up. I want to hear it. So he did. <laughs> and it did sound good. I'm telling you, it just in that big room with the big speakers, it sounded as good as it did in the, in the little control room at the studio. And it was loud. And all the other customers in the store stopped. And they, I could see everybody in the room when that music came on, they just kind of turned and was like, what is that music I'm hearing? And so the effect that I had hoped would happen did happen. Everybody that heard it, you know, at work, when at lunchtime, I'd pop that cassette tape in my car, rental car tape player. And all the guys that I'd, we'd go to, as we'd go to lunch, they heard it. They loved it too. And it just, uh, it was just immediately obvious to me that this song and what had just happened to it getting recorded, I had to do something to give it more life. It could not just die with me. It, it had to go somewhere. I got back home to, to North Carolina and a good friend of mine were having lunch one day on Wednesday at local restaurant. And I was telling him about this recording session. And he was he he was very curious anyway. And he says, well, Dave, I got to hear this thing. I said, well, let's after lunch, let's go in your office. And he had a, a nice boombox he could play it on. And so we went to his office and he he pops this cassette tape into his boombox. And we're sitting there. And my friend's name is Bob McHone. Now, he has he's a radio personality, too. And, and, and one of his many talents, he's a very talented man, but he has a great radio voice. But anyway, he was sitting there listening to my music and he's got real close to this boombox so he can hear it real good. And he, he's got his eyes closed. And as the music's playing, I hear him say, mm, mm, mm. you know, that that universal sound of I love this. <laughs> and when it finished, he had tears in his eyes and he says, Dave, so this song will be a standard. And then he, he, he was an expert. He had a three, a three hour Saturday morning radio program on big band jazz. So he was a music aficionado anyway. So coming from him, that was a high compliment. He said, Dave, you've got to let me play this song on my radio program. I said, OK, Bob, but all I have is this one reel to reel master tape copy of it. That's all there is. He said, I'll take good care of it. Don't worry about it. So I loaned him my master tape. Took it to the radio station. They made a copy of it, put it on what they called a cart. It looked like an old eight-track tape, tape thing. Made a copy of it that they could play on the radio. And that Saturday morning, Bob, my friend Bob McCone, announced that he was going to interrupt his normal programming to play Rachel's song. And he gave it a marvelous introduction. And I, I have a recording of it because I had my tape recorder turned on, on the uh, recording it off the radio. <laughs> and so he played it and I thought, wow. And that was the first time I'd ever heard my music played on the radio ever. That was quite an experience in and itself, in and of itself. Well, in about 30 minutes or so, my phone rang and it was the station manager of the radio station, WKLM. And he said, uh, Dave, he said, I've been in radio for over 20 years. And he said, I've never had anything like this happen before. He said, when Bob played Rachel's song on the radio, our phone bank, and he said, we got about 12 or 15 phone lines that people can call in on. He said, they all lit up instantly. He said, everybody wanted to know, what was that song you just played? Would you play that again? What? Tell me more about Rachel's. Tell me more about this Combs guy in Winston-Salem. He said, 
man, he said, you've got something here. He said, you, you've got to do something with this song. So that was, and again, another confirmation that I'd, I didn't know what it was, but I better get on with it myself as well. So I got busy and I started calling other FM radio stations around the country. And back then we used to have a format called Easy Listening. Well, I don't even think that format even exists today. There may be two or three stations in the whole country. But back then we had about 400 of them. Every major market had its Easy Listening radio station. Well, I got a list of all those radio stations from a, a publication called Radio and Records, R&R, &R, I think they called it. And they sent me, I bought the little list of the whole country. And so I started calling Easy Listening stations and sending them a copy of Rachel's song, The Music. And every one of them loved Rachel's song. They put it in their playlist. And some of them said, well, Dave, we don't do our own programming. We hire a company out of Chicago called Bonneville Broadcasting, and they program in our music for us. And I said, okay, well, um, how do I get a hold of them? <laughs> and so I got a name of the program director at Bonneville Broadcasting. And I sent him Rachel's song. He loved it. And he said, he called me back and he said, Dave, I love this song. He said, I'm going to put it in my rotation for all of our easy listening stations countrywide. So I went from just a few stations, over 200 gotcha. stations overnight. Bammo, there it was. And then something else happened. I started getting mail. People were calling the radio stations all over the country wanting to know how to get a hold of me. Where can I buy this Rachel song? I want, a, I want my own copy. And the song took off. It was number one on the charts, on the easy listening instrumental charts in all the major markets, Los Angeles, Atlanta, New York, all over the country, in Newark, around in New Jersey, Philadelphia, all those easy listening stations. Rachel's song was their number one requested song. It even was number one in Australia, believe it or not. That's another whole story that I tell in the book of how it got there, but it was number one in Australia for two years. So the song kept on having a more of a life of its own. And then I decided, well, now what am I going to do? I've got the song out there. Everybody loves it. But all I have is by that time, I did have what you're going to laugh at this. This this is my first big production of Rachel's song in a, in a professional format. Oh, wow. One of those vinyls. 45 single, <laughs> 45 record. Of Rachel's. I got to get up right side up, right up here, but you can see that's Rachel's song. I don't know, 45 record. And so at least I had, I, I was able to get this made. I think I made about 400 copies of it that I'd ordered. I could send this then to radio stations. They, they play from a record. Now sending them a cassette tape, what just wasn't the quality on a cassette tape, as you know, it just wasn't that great, but you know, 45 vinyl records are, they're making a comeback today. Actually, I was going to say that some of the sound that, that comes out of those is sometimes better than CD quality. And uh, that's what uh, most, a lot of people that are the vinyl people that want vinyl, they say it's a, a smoother, uh, warmer sound than you get on a, you know, a, a digital copy. So anyway, so I had something to send out to people <clears throat> at least to where they could play it. And I, occasionally I would be able to sell a CD or a 45 record of Rachel's song. And then I got busy and I decided I need a CD, but I only had one song. 
So this was 86 when I recorded it. So it took me till 1988 to write enough music to do a whole album. And so by 1988, I went back to the studio with Gary Prem again, every time with Gary Prem, to record a new song. So I wrote new music. And in 1988, I came out and produced my first CD. And by the way, CDs had just become to become the format that you really wanted because of the quality. And so I, I had cassette tapes and CDs made, but, uh, but by 1980, that was my first product of my music. So now at least I had something when people wrote to me and said, how I want a copy of Rachel's song. I can, you know, for $14, $15, sell them a, a CD of Rachel's song. Well, that was fine for people that were calling in and or writing in to me uh, wanting it. But I thought about other people that I haven't even bothered to write to me need to have a way of getting Rachel's song, the music. And so I said, okay, back then we used to have record stores. You may remember, I think one of them was called record bar. It was uh, the big record store kind. Of, and there were some others too. I can't remember what tower they record. were. Tower Oh, tower records was huge. Okay, okay. And, uh, and by the way, <laughs> none of those are even in business today. So, so, but back then that's where you went to get your music. So I thought, well, I've got everybody on the radio loves my music. I'll just go into these stores and they'll just be open, grand, open, open arms and say, well, Dave, been, we've been waiting for you to come in and, and so we can carry your music in our store and all this stuff. They wouldn't even give me the time of day. They never heard of Dave Combs. They, first of all, weren't too up on instrumental music. They called it elevator music and they wanted country and rock and jazz and all the other formats. But instrumental piano music nah, not so much so i got disappointed and i'm sure that's where your a lot of your music entrepreneurs in the audience are going to say yeah me too i nobody seems to want to do anything with my music well the thing i did is you don't give up never give up there's got to be a way and don't ever let anybody steal your dream don't let anybody tell you just forget it and, and go back and do your other thing and forget your music no don't do that so I said, okay, my wife and I are pretty ingenious. We're pretty creative people. We can come up with some ideas. We decided, well, how do people hear music? Where are all the places people can hear music? Well, there's, of course, the radio. We've got that covered already. But what about in retail? Where in retail can people hear? Well, in a grocery store, people, and sometimes music's playing when you're in a store. And sure enough, in an elevator, there is, a, there is such a thing as elevator music. And so, yeah, well, Muzak, M-U-Z-A-K, was the company that programmed all the elevator music in the country. I contacted them. Yep, they, they put Rachel's song in the programming in Muzak, believe it or not. So I did get it in elevators all over the country. And then there was in airplanes. You could get on uh, commercial airlines, you did had the, the music that you could listen to over your headset in the airplane. They had the actual programming. I found out how that worked and, and got my music into that venue. Several times I jumped on an airplane on Piedmont Airlines and get out the program. Boom, there's Rachel's song right in the program. That was a real thrill to me. So, so anyway, that was for people to hear it. But now where can they go buy the music? So I was really kind of stymied. I had no idea. The, rec the big box stores, no luck. I worked with a lady at AT&T who had a friend who owned a gift shop. 
in Old Town, Alexandria. I was working in Bethesda, Maryland at the time, and my friend Leslie's friend owned a gift shop in Old Town, Alexandria. It's a if those beautiful. of you that it's a beautiful, wonderful tourist place on King Street. King Street is full of great restaurants and shops, and you can walk right down to the Potomac River and eat eat at the great restaurants or whatever. So she says, I want to give Rachel's song CD to my friend Jane that owns this shop in Old Town, and her, her shop's called America. And she sells everything that's patriotic. If it's red, white, and blue, she sells it. So I said, okay, well, so I gave her a, a CD of Rachel's song, and she gave it to her friend Jane. And in a couple of days, my phone rings, and on the other end, it says, hey, Dave, this is uh, Jane at uh, the America gift shop. She said, I got a problem. She said, every time I play Rachel's song in my store, all my customers come over to the counter and say, what is that song? I want to buy that and take that home with me. And she said, I don't have it. Can you sell me some CDs and cassette tapes of Rachel's song? I said, well, I guess so. We will have to make it. I hadn't even sold any at retail before. I didn't even know how, what, the, what to set as the wholesale price. So we worked that all out. And she said, can you bring me a box full tonight? I said, yes, ma'am. I, I, after work today, I will we'll box them up. I'll go down to Old Town and bring them to you. So, okay, that's what we did. And it handed her this box of cassette tapes and CDs. I think it's about 12 of each. And I thought, well, we'll see what happens here. Well, a couple of three days later, <laughs> phone rings again. Guess who? It's Jane. She says, hey, Dave, I got another problem. Those no, no. are all, they're all gone. You got to tend to send me some more. I said, okay, well, how, and she said, how about doubling the order this time? I said, all right, I'll bring you a big box full. So, drapes down there that night, take her some more CDs and tapes. And we made that trip every week for over a year. Jane sold thousands of cassette tapes and CDs out of that one little gift shop in Old Town, Alexandria. And that was absolutely amazing when the light bulb went off in my mind and i'm you know i'm i'm no dummy i've, I've got my mba from wake forest university so i know a, a, a business model when i see one and i know how to do a spreadsheet so i said okay let's make me a spreadsheet and see just what's happened with with this one gift shop put in my column in my spreadsheet how many i've sold of each of this how much it, she paid me and how much it cost me and profit margin cost and then, and then at the bottom is my net growth my gross profit so, okay, well, this looks pretty good, you know, when you multiply <laughs> all that out. So, okay, I told Linda, I said, all right, I'm, what if we found one gift shop like this in all 50 states? Just one. And so I made me another column, 50 times column one. And, whoa, bottom line number's looking mighty good. Okay. <laughs> and I said, okay, let's not get greedy, but this is a big country, lots of gift shops. Let's just do five gift shops per state, total of 250 in the whole country. Column three is 250 times column one. Get all the numbers added up, and the computer just automatically adds it right up. And I said, Linda, come over here and look at this number. The bottom line number here is more than twice what I make at AT&T. I said, guess what we got to do? <laughs> we got to get busy and find these 250 gift shops all over the country. 
And that's exactly the, what, the, what got me on the path of setting my business model. And I think this is a principle that I'll tell all entrepreneurs is very important. I had a business model. That first column of my spreadsheet was one customer that I knew worked. The numbers, numbers don't lie. You can plug in the numbers, and if the numbers work on a small scale, you multiply the heck out of it. If the numbers don't work, you walk away and go find something else or fine-tune it to where the numbers do work. But don't think that just because you can take a minus number at the bottom and multiply it by 100 and come out with a positive number, that don't work. You cannot. <laughs> you don't want to duplicate a failure. You want to duplicate a success. And that's exactly what I did. So I got busy. Linda and I on the weekends and Sundays, and we would get out in the car, and we'd go to all these tourist towns and, and find these gift shops like, like America and Old Town. And we had really great success. I would, I'd give them a copy, leave them a copy of a cassette or a CD of Rachel's song, and they'd play it in your store and, and let me know what you think about it. If your customers want to buy it, call me. And people started calling, and I started building my number of gift shop customers up. I had, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25. And after a while, though, I ran out of real estate and territory that I could comfortably drive to. You know, I was doing shoe what we call shoe leather marketing. We were walking the streets on the weekends trying to find prospects. Well, you run out of territory after a while that you can comfortably get to. So... Linda says, well, why don't you start calling? Just get on, get on, get the yellow pages for gift shops. Back then we used to have the phone book with yellow pages, the business <laughs> list and start calling, calling them. I said, okay, I, I'll do that. And, and we lived in the, the DC area. So I went to the library of Congress in downtown DC. They had a room that had every phone book in the United States. I'm, literally it was a room of phone books. So I would go and I would pull a phone book out of a, of a town I wanted to get, go to the yellow pages and Xerox copy the gift shops numbers, the pages, take all those copies home. And I'd get on the phone all, all weekend calling all those gift shops. And here's what I would say. I can tell you to, I could, I said it so many thousands of times. I probably said it in my sleep. Do you sell any cassette tapes of the music that you play in your store? And I'd wait for an answer. They'd either say, well, no, we don't play music. Well, thank you very much. Bye. Hang up. Or, yeah, we play music, but we don't sell it. And then I would launch into, well, do you have ever have anybody ask about the music? And then, it's, well, nah. oh, thank you very much. Hang up. But if they got interested in saying, well, well, some people do ask. And then I'd give them a, pro, you know, a sales pitch about, well, let me send you some music and let you see what you think. So I, over the weekend, I would make hundreds and hundreds of phone calls. A lot of them were just the, the 13 second no. And, and I would have to make 30 phone calls to get one yes. 29 no's. That's another lesson for entrepreneurs. You got to get used to the word no. And I always say, I laugh and I say, don't think of it as no. No only means not yet. No means not yet. So. Anyhow, so I didn't get discouraged at that, but I, it was kind of a, a lot of work to get one out of 30 phone calls. So I got to thinking, there's got to be a smarter way to do this. There's got to be a better hit rate than one in 30. And what I realized where my customers, I was having success was in tourist towns, just like Old Town Alexandria. 
you know, I'm familiar with North Carolina where we have Blowing Rock, North Carolina up in the mountains. It's a beautiful tourist town. Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Almost everybody knows about Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And in, in New Jersey, I know there are some great little tourist towns in uh, the rural parts of New Jersey. There may still be a rural part left. I don't know. But there are some tourist places that people like to go. But I didn't know where those were. And so I thought, well, I got to figure out how to call just the, the, uh, the, the tourist towns. And I said, well, how do I know where the tourist towns are in Oregon or Mississippi or Kansas? I've never been there, so I don't know. And I would call the Chambers of Commerce and I went to the Department of Commerce in D.C. and asked them, do you have a listing of tourist towns? Nope, we don't have anything like that. Uh, and you, we didn't have Google or you didn't have the Internet, so I couldn't do any online research. I had to rely on telephone and that kind of thing. So I thought, well, you know, this is just not working this way. I've got to figure this out. And then I had an epiphany. I said, OK. What are the characteristics of a tourist town? You only need two pieces of data. That's all I need. How many gift shops are in this little town? First of all, it's probably going to be a little town. How many gift shops are there? Like Gatlinburg, Tennessee. There are probably, I don't know, 85 or 100 gift shops in that town. How many people actually live permanently in the town? Probably not very many. You know, maybe, I don't know, two or 3,000 people in Gatlinburg. Well, there's no way in the world 2,000 or 3,000 people can support 85 gift shops, right? Mm -hmm. Which automatically says they got to have their customers coming from out of town. Well, that's the definition of a tourist town is out of town people coming to be tourists in your town. So I said, OK, where can I get those two pieces of information? OK, gift shops. I found out you could buy the mailing list. For gift shops in the whole country there was i forget the name of the company but it, it may have been associated with the yellow pages really but they sold a mailing list of the gift shops that that particular code and it that was i asked for it to be sorted in alphabetical order by by town by state they sent me a computer printout the thing was about four inches thick <laughs> big wide computer paper now, this, today today we would have downloaded it as a, you know, a file on the computer and you'd had it just like that no i had I, and i think i paid about 250 bucks for this thing it was a lot of money but i had a listing of printout of all seventy-five thousand gift shops in the whole country by state by town by state i went through that printout i counted Every town, I counted how many is in this town, and I made me a spreadsheet with the city, state, and, uh, and how many gift shops were in my spreadsheet for every one of them. That took me a long time. Today, you could have done it mechanically somehow or other, but back then, I counted them manually. Had my spreadsheet there. Now, the other piece of information I needed, all right, how many people are, uh, what is the pop permanent population of that? Well, the Census Bureau has all that information, of course. So I, I wanted to know where can I get an easy access to all this census, census information about population? Well, if you want to know something, and this is still true, if you want to know something, go to a librarian. These librarians are wonderful people. They are wonderful fountains of knowledge. They, if they don't know the answer to something, I'm sure you, you're, you're grinning, I know you know this, if they don't know, they know where to go get it. They are the most ingenious 
creative people about finding information. So I go to the library was right across the street from my office in Bethesda. Lunchtime, I go over to the library and I said, I need to know where can I find the population information for all these little towns across the country? And she didn't even have to think very long. She says, come over here on this table is this book. And I just so happened to have <coughs> this is the book because I ended up buying one for myself. This is the Rand McNally 1990 Commercial Atlas Marketing Guide. It's a big, thick book. weighs 12 pounds. I weighed it. It weighs 12 pounds. Talk about a heavy, thick book. But it has, if I can find a good place with the, oh, here we go. It has maps of the whole country. It's got every, every state in it with, you know, all this, everything. It's a wonderful atlas. But guess what's in the back? By state, by town, every crossroad in the country, every little zip code, every census tract, whatever it is in back here. And one of the data that's right with it, population. So I bought one of these books. It called, I think it, I paid about $125 way back then for this book. But boy, was it worth it. When I had this book, I spent hours looking up the population and putting that in my database, in my spreadsheet. And when I finished that, I said, okay, spreadsheet, calculate the ratio of population per gift shop. Just divide those two numbers together, give me a ratio. Now, sort my spreadsheet in ascending order by that ratio, I, yeah. by state. Well, guess what town pops to the top of Tennessee? Gatlinburg. What <laughs> pops to the top of North Carolina? Blowing Rock. And in, in Virginia, there was different I knew, places I knew, but when it went to Oregon or other places, I could see the ratio was probably 100, 125, some low number. I didn't even have to guess. I knew that that town was a, a gift shop, a, a, a tourist town. I started calling just those from the top down on the East Coast. I'd start on the East Coast and work my way to the West on a weekend start calling just the top numbers, my hit rate went from one in 30 to one in three or four or five. I mean, it was like almost every phone. Well, yeah, we, we play music and, oh, I'd be delighted to have that music. And then, and I get there, I had the, I didn't even have to write it down. Now I had the printout that had the address, phone number, everything. And I, I just, all I needed was the name of who to send it to. Bingo. By the end of the weekend, I had so many packages I needed to mail out. I'd have to make two trips to the post office because my car wouldn't hold all the packages that I had to mail on Monday. And that's how I went from a handful of gift shops to over a thousand gift shops eventually over the whole country. Now, I know that was a long story to tell it, but that is, to me, that was just such a, a, a dynamic change of in how I changed my marketing plan to be a more smart and more targeted marketing, and it worked. It worked. And by 1992, I was able to quit my job at AT&T and go to do my music full-time from that point forward. <laughs> All right, hold on, hold on. I got, I got to take a deep breath here. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So, so I tell you what. So you were talking about all this, right? And I know originally when I started announcing, while well, introducing the show, we talked about the concept of you know the relationship between music and health, 
Yep. And we're still going to do that. Yeah, but, 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 but all, the funny part is, that as you're talking about all this, I think this part of the show, we get actually, I'm going to promote it under our sales channel because <laughs> what you just did right now, you, you identify, you define the true steps of any business, you know, step by step. And you did it the hard way. Everything, oh, yeah. you, everything you went through, then you could have done literally in an hour or two today with technology. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't remind me of that. <laughs> no, no, but, 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 yeah. but, but the reason I made that the comment is because we take things for granted today. And still we chant, we have the, we face the challenge. Oh, it's not working. I don't know what to do. You went step-by-step, step, literally just an investigative step and organize yourself correctly. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. analyzed it, you assessed the need, the want, you put the numbers on the board, you looked at everything. And you went by, you know, step by step. Mm-hmm. Another thing that you actually highlighted right now was, well, early on, is the importance of your support system, your your support ally, your wife. And and from here, I want to thank Linda for all the work that she's done <laughs> and her ingredients to her. And 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 because she was part of this journey. Oh, and and, huge, and, and, huge. and it was not just you thinking she was there for you and with you. Today, we don't see a lot of that. And I always emphasize in our uh, discussions when it comes to sales and when it comes to just, just, just positivity in general and, and, and humanity, you want to have people around you that mm-hmm. actually are always there for you, support you, and don't, instead of, oh, it's not going to work out. What are you doing? You're loony. It's not going to work. You're going to quit your job. Forget about it. You know, this is not going to work. We're not going to She was there for you step by step and took the time to support, assist, and at least even just just morally speaking, just mm-hmm. actually being there for you without even doing extra, that was still a, an important piece. So again, for audiences, uh, that's important. If what you have heard today is a true success story that is based from the foundation up with an idea, with a passion. And you, again, this was a hobby for you. You love music. You yeah. did it, but you took it to the next step and you said something powerful. Never give up. Don't look, don't, don't, don't turn away from your dreams work towards your dream no matter what every single thing you mentioned was a challenge and a hurdle and 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 a block but yet you figure out a way around it it did not stop you there you moved on so so i'm telling you this part of the show is gonna be the hottest thing you know on our sales channel because a lot of people you know are always listening to find inspiration or, or or motivation this is actually true motivation and inspiration for a lot of folks that may or may not be sure of, of their career path or their, their passion or their whatever they want, their dreams. And sometimes we all put every single reason why we cannot do it. You said something powerful. You were getting a lot of no's. Most of us today were probably at the first no, we give up. You don't give up. You're a true, you, you're a success story today. You've been doing this for since 1992. That's 40 years, mm-hmm. 30 years. I'm sorry, 30, 30. years. 30 years, you've been actually literally working. With, I mean, quit your job and did exactly what you loved. But it took from 86 to 92. That's about a decent six amount. Six years. Six yeah. years of yeah. hard work. But that hard work was not in vain. You took every single step and you took the, you had patience. You were organized. You would never give up. You were always innovative and creative. And that these are all the traits of true success. Now you did have a good background in your business education and all the stuff, but, sure. but, but today it's available. People can listen to this and just take it for what it's worth. I mean, this is mm-hmm. worth, you know, two years of education <laughs> right now, <laughs> crammed, in, crammed in, in about 10 or 15 minutes of, of a discussion, but really those are the key notes, key talking about music, key notes, you know, of what you need to do to make it happen. Uh, it's not rocket science. No, it's, it's, it's work. 
it is not, this is not something when you want your dream to come true, you don't just think about a dream and keep dreaming. You got to take action. You got to mm-hmm. take the necessary step. So I, I, I literally, I, you had, you got into my passion, which is sales and, and motivation and inspiration. So I had to actually tap into that one, but you give it all in and you were really giving the advice from, from your heart and, and based on your own true experiences and everything you did, you know, makes you who you are today and gave you the career path and the, the life you wanted, because this is beautiful. You, and by the way, it start, that's the other thing. It started so small. It was oh, yeah. just, it was a few notes on a paper yeah. <laughs> that you just played and yeah. you didn't even, didn't even have a name for it. It took a couple of years to get a name for it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but, but so this is the part that when you have an idea, like the other day we had a show and uh, we, we had, we were talking about business and, and entrepreneurship and stuff. And, and, and I gave an example, I started multiple businesses, some work, some don't. Some people always ask the question, well, why you do, you know, you're doing all this stuff for, for what? Well, first of all, I, I use them as projects and every one of them has its own merits and let's see where it goes. I just keep pushing. Mm-hmm. That's it. And, and for everyone, you can have one, you can have 10. It doesn't matter. Just keep at it. Know your path. F- Look, you did everything. You went to libraries. <laughs> you don't even need that now. You can Google stuff, as you said. You went to the <laughs> Library of Congress. You printed those. I know those stackable, you know, print sheets that they used to have with those you know, laser, yeah. what those original printers. And you get this big stack. I used to actually, I got labels from the state back in the days. Yeah. The same way. And, and, and that's the thing. So, so it was all the hard stuff with minor, you know, tools. Today, the tools that we have, we could do this in no time. You can Google everything. You can search by data. You can print stuff. You can download, as you said, files, Excel, PDFs, you name it. You have it. Technology, you're talking about, you had reels. You had to make copies. <laughs> you had to create stuff. You had to walk into the stores and introduce yourself. Now you can do this digitally. I mean, you can send an MP3 file, one of those files. Yeah. So today, folks, if you're listening and watching and you have a dream, whether it's music or anything else, pursue it. There's plenty of stuff out there that you can do. You can make the journey. And, but, but, but no one thing. It won't be easy. Don't give up. Uh, be, accept the no's. And they're part of, like to your point, is not yet. You're still working. <laughs> you're getting there. <laughs> make it happen. It's just going to happen. Just the next one. And Take the ones as you as your as your positive. So when you get the yes, that's it. So don't think about how many no's you had. Think how many yeses you get. That's another way to look at it, right? And and that's, that's where right. your positivity comes in. But you would, you will, if you did this, you will succeed. You are a true inspiration in front of us today. Uh, that that did that. You had, by the way, you did have a good career. I don't know you back on. So so you did have a nice little rank. You were out there doing your thing. But that was your passion and you keep, kept up with it. And yeah, it took time. It didn't spin out overnight, but every day got you closer to your dream. And when you get to the point, when you get to that final moment, aha, I'm done. I can make more than I make here and I can do the life I want. I can have the lifespan I need. I can have the lifestyle that I want. I can enjoy my life. I can put, produce more music and that's it. Now, that being said, we did all this. You started your career path. Well, you stopped your career path, but you just, your journey with music and just producing music. And then now you went to the book or books. So, so let's talk about that. And, and by the way, although we had an hour, I think we're just going to extend this. So I, <laughs> I am okay. enjoying this. So, so, so we went to the book. Now the book is the summary of all the story, like from the beginning to the end. Yeah. We almost like a, yeah, it's a book of all those little short stories, I call it, but of my journey. You know, I, I spent a lot of time and I tried to make it as uh, Im- immersive 
as I could. I wanted, when you read the book, I wanted you to be in the studio with me. I wanted you to hear and hear the sound. I want you to kind of see the, the equipment. I want, if you smell that equipment, you know, I want you to physically almost be there with me. And that's, I really tried hard to put that in my book because so many of what my stories are really personal and I don't want it to be a dry read where you're just reading a bunch of facts. No, these are stories of my real life and the, the, the you know, the path that, that took me, it wasn't a straight line from A to B. It was a lot of zigs and zags, but we got there and, and the, uh, the stories are in there. Dave, I have to say, I haven't read your book, just listened to you for this hour. This is a true inspiration for a film or movie scenario. I mean, this could be a good literally book to build some sort of a movie out there about the story of Dave, or, or it could be just a fictitious name with something that's based on reality because you do have, it could be a, an entrepreneur, you know, kind of movie base. It could be a success movie. It could be just a, a passion about music. It could be a lot of stuff. I mean, the name itself touched by music <laughs> yeah. could, be, could be literally, you know, a, a movie name and, 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 and a big one. And I'm sure that the story behind it, I mean, a good, I guess, producer or director, movie director will probably spin this thing so much and, and, and make it so impressive with people. So maybe this is your next one. <laughs> maybe so. That would be that would be an amazing turn of events, wouldn't it? Well, I, listen, people are listening to the show today. Hey, if you if you are a producer or movie or director or or, or a script writer and you, you you're looking for something, if you're a script writer, you want to write it. But but somebody out there. If you touch this book and you know you can hear the story, it's definitely touching. It can reach out a lot of people and it can be entertaining as well as motivational. Hey, fire away. Call, call Dave, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we already have the theme song for the movie already recorded. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's actually yeah. perfect. Well, you're right. I mean, that could be the song uh, yeah. of the movie. So, so Touch by Music, that is the name of the book. And, and that's really the story. I mean, you, you were touched by music to start with. And then through, through your, since you were ch a child, basically from your grandparents, you know, you had that already installed your parents also. So it was something that you live with all your life and you're still mm -hmm. doing it. I love that piano behind you. I'm assuming that's, that's a picture of, oh, that's a real thing or that's a picture. That's, that's my real Steinway back here, except this is a picture of my, but right. the real piano is upstairs. How, how old is that thing? I mean, I that, looks, that was a classical. <laughs> it is a Steinway that I bought brand new in 1991, the month before we moved back to North Carolina from, from Maryland. Linda and I both quit our jobs, uh, or she quit her job, and, and, and I moved with AT&T back to North Carolina because my, mother's, uh, my wife's mother had Alzheimer's. And my wife was needing to come and take care of her and take some relief off from her for her father. And so we moved our careers back to North Carolina. And by that time, though, I had I had promised myself I was not going to buy. I always wanted a Steinway Grand Piano because the piano that I had that I wrote Rachel's song on was a 100 year old uh, Kanabe. K-N-A-B-E is the brand made in Baltimore, Maryland. And it was a hundred. I looked up the serial number. It was made in 1875, so it was over a hundred years old. Would not hold its tune very well. Had a great, had a great sound though. It was this. The sound is what I wrote Rachel's song on. But I promised that as soon as I made enough money from my music, my first major purchase was going to be a grand, a brand new Steinway grand piano. 
1991, before we moved back to North Carolina, I went with Linda on a Saturday to the Steinway dealer in uh, Northern Virginia, and I got to try out, I think they had about 15 or 20 Steinway B in black. I wanted a black ebony color on the, the piano. They, and the, the B is the, the concert grand is the C, and the B is the, the next size down. So this is a, not a baby grand, it's the, the, the Steinway B. They had about 15 of them, and, and I could go play, and I played every one of them because I wanted, and pianos are, are unique. Every piano has a different touch and feel and sound. They may all look exactly alike, but I played, and this is the piano that I said, this one has my name on it. So that Saturday, I bought my first Steinway Grand Piano, and that, I love it. It's, so that was in 1991, so that's what, uh, 30 31 years ago, so it's uh, it's a great piano though, and I love it. It's just wonderful. So, so, so they have. I'm sure you've written some additional music. Yes, uh, and and it was done all on this baby. <laughs> no, but a lot of it was, but a lot of it was still on that Kanabi piano that was when we were living in Maryland. So I've I've written over 120 songs since Rachel's song, and recorded 14 albums worth of music and produced 15 albums. My 15th album is simply a, a collection of songs from the first 14 all on one CD. It's kind of a, a think of it a sampler kind of thing. But, but I've written and record, I've recorded over 170 songs because a lot of them are favorite hymns or copyrighted songs by somebody else like Misty and Moore and Moon River, all those beautiful old songs that were my favorites, and then some patriotic songs. But I've re, re, with Gary Prem in the studio, we've gone back for uh, every year for about 15 years and recorded an album in Nashville with myself and Gary Prem and our recording engineer, Ronnie Light. Same crew, same team, everything. And it's just it's just a, a wonderful creative process. And at the end of the week, you walk, you go, you go home with a brand new album. And, it, and in today's thing, you can go home with the album on one of these, little thumb drive. <laughs> Back then, you had to come home with a, this is, this is a two-inch recording tape in this box that will only hold 13 minutes of music. And I would, to do an album, I would have to bring home about four or five of these boxes that weighed about 10 pounds apiece. And that was the medium that was the music was recorded on. Today, it's all electronic. You don't even need this. You can send it electronically. You can upload it to the internet. Yep, that's so, it. I mean, that, that's how file that exchange today. I mean, you Dropbox them, you, you yeah, Google exactly. Drive them. There's so many ways. But, again, but we I mean, recorded all that music over those years. And it, the music had gone out uh, originally physically through cassette tapes and CDs. And now it's through downloads and streaming. And I have heard from over 50,000 people over these years who have written notes and letters to me explaining how much my music has touched their lives. And that was really the impetus for me writing my book. Was uh, In chapter 21 of my book, I put about 22 pages of, of selected quotes and notes from people about my music in here. And you better get your box of Kleenex out when you read that chapter. Some of them are really touching, touching stories. I mean, really touching. But, you know, how, how it really touched their lives, not only just an in an entertainment way. This is a lot deeper than entertainment. 
And I know we wanted to talk a little bit about the, the healing and health aspects of music. Yes. And through all those 50,000 letters that I've gotten over the years, and I kept every one of them. They're in boxes here in my basement. And anytime I want to be inspired, I just pull out a box and start reading those letters. But many of those were people pouring their heart and soul out about how my music brought them out of a depression and credited my music, for example, in some cases with saving their life. They were, I don't, I guess about to commit suicide or whatever, but they decided not to because of listening to my music. I've had people who were alcoholics that basically said my music, when they played my music, allowed them to finally get a good night's sleep. Apparently, insomnia or restlessness is a real serious side effect of alcoholism. And this one lady I remember wrote and said that you, your, your music basically has enabled me to stay sober all these years because it's just, it did that so much for me. And there's people that write about, you know, stress reduction and <laughs> little kids in a, in, a, in, a, in a kindergarten that would, the teacher would put on my music to play. And she said, they all just curl up on their little blankies and just go to sleep. <laughs> she saw it, you know, it's it stories that were, I know they're anecdotal stories about this, but the effect of music on people of all ages is powerful. Uh, you know, I, all my life, and I'm sure all yours, you know, when you want to have a certain impact on yourself, you can put on a, your headset and put on your favorite music. It'll take you to wherever you want to go. If you want to be up, upbeat, you can put on some really good upbeat music. But if you want to be chilled out, you put on some nice, you know, either classical or some really slow, wonderful, slow jazz or something, it will take you to a whole different place. And so this, this health and a therapeutic value of the music is really, really powerful. And that's what I have so much, uh, the reason I wrote my book was I knew that the, those stories about the power of the music to affect and touch people's lives is so important <clears throat> that I wanted to tell that story. And that's what I put in my book. Well, Dave, there's, there's a lot of studies and, and articles out there that are demonstrated, that have demonstrated the impact of music on healing. Um, and, and it's, it's real. It's not, this is not something that we say. I mean, it's, it's actually mm -hmm. demonstrated, proven, uh, and utilized in some clinics and things like that. They do use music for that purpose. And the healing process, or at least the outcomes, are much higher than without using it. And to mm -hmm. your point, it varies. Uh, there's different types of music. They impact different levels. You say you want to get pumped up, you can put some real high beat stuff. Uh, thus, uh, or hence in the, mu in, in the fitness world, you put some nice music. It keeps you going. Without it, you probably are not going to be able to do the same or your energy will be almost reduced. Uh, you're right. At night, you want to have something mellow to just kind of you know get you in. Just another thing, if you think about the power of music, uh, think about movies. When you watch a movie or a documentary, the music in that documentary or movie actually is what's actually helping that, that feeling that you want. You watch the screen is one thing, you hear the script is one thing, but the music that they play on the background while the, the action is going, whatever, or the emotions are happening, it plays on you. It's actually psychologically one-on-one, <laughs> impactful, and it, and it really can give you emotions to cry. It can give you emotions to laugh, to smile. Uh, it, it's amazing how it impacts the, 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 the mind and the body and the reaction of it. And you're right. I mean, you had real evidence, real people telling you how the impact. Some people can say, well, you have no proof, as you said, anecdotal, but it's not. The fact is, they didn't have to say that. They did it because in their world, they... Whatever they, they felt, 
listening to your music had that impact for them and they just expressed what that was for them and to your point it varied from the young kids you know where the teacher is using it as like you know lot of lot of just go to sleep and then you had the folks that actually used it for for healing for like is insomnia you can't sleep but this puts you to sleep and makes you mellow and relaxed but also it gets it taps into your emotions i mean music when you listen if you go to a jazz bar you can just sit there and listen Mm-hmm. Uh, you know and it just like you get you get with that beat i mean you just kind of like feel it and uh, you get latino music and we can go to all different types of music each one of them gets you a different emotion a different you know going uh and and you listen the words sometimes are one thing but the notes behind i mean you can just listen to drummers or pianists or guitarists and, and just without even scripts or, or, or without words or without lyrics right and you can just kind of like get into the zone there so music's levels or music in general whatever types they are they all have different impact on on our health and mental and physical as i said and they do work it's not even uh this is not a hoax it's real mm-hmm. um my question to you did you perform any of this live you know ever i mean is that something that you've done i have on occasion played uh, i still play rachel's song it that song i play it a lot in fact i'm playing it next tuesday at the funeral of a very dear friend of mine it was her favorite song and she on her practically on her deathbed asked me would you play rachel's song at my funeral and of course i said i would and i'm i hope i can get through it without too many tears in my eyes but this coming tuesday i will do that and uh, but I have also played Rachel's song for a crowd of 26,000 people. This was for a concert in St. Louis put on by the local radio station, a free open air concert. And they had invited their the public's most requested artists. They did a contest and they had invited the, t- the five top winners of their contest to come to St. Louis and put on a concert on a Saturday in this great big Booter Park, which is a great big open air facility with, you know, it's a great big place. And when I got the call, find, letting me know that I was one of the winners of their contest, I was blown away when I, especially when I heard who the other four people were, it was the Letterman, the association, Don McLean and George Benson and me. Now, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is a line up. And that I'll never forget that day. This was in 1989. And I flew at they flew us out to St. Louis, put us up in the hotel, limoed us out to the place. And and uh, over the weekend, I got to know each of the, the lettermen who became friends of ours. We still today keep up with the lettermen. They're wonderful people. We love to go and see them and, and reminisce about our time together in St. Louis. But uh, and just that was a thrill to sit there on a stage with a concert grand nine foot Steinway piano and play with amplification for twenty six thousand. You couldn't even see the end of the crowd. It was the people were sitting on the ground on blankets and chairs up to the stage and all the way as far as I could see. Played Rachel's song standing ovation and I just it just blew me away. So, and I stood there at my, but they had an autograph tent set up for us. And my table was right next to the letterman's table and then the association and whatever. And I stood there with me and the letterman. We signed autographs for four hours. People had driven 
to St. Louis, from Chicago and Minneapolis, all over the Midwest, just to hear me play Rachel's song. That blew me away. So yes, I have performed it, and I, that's, <laughs> I guess that'll be the high water mark forever for me of playing my, my music for a live audience, but that was fabulous. So, so thank you for that. I know that is, that is an experience because standing on a concert, you know, stage is no picnic. And, and especially for that kind of crowd, that's huge. Mm. I mean, I, I had a couple of opportunities where I had to stand in a similar situation. I'm not a, a performer, but, but for just to do a, uh, it was actually a raffle, <laughs> you know, and uh, an announcement of winners and stuff, but it, it is, you know, a very big, you know, uh, element big deal. because we were the sponsor for a concert. Exactly. And uh, so we had to go there and announce, get them in, get them hyper and you get the screams and everything. So it was a little, <laughs> it was rough. It was rough. So I can tell you it's, it's, but I wanted to just share with you something personal. Okay. Sure. Um, one of the people that influenced me the most in my life as a young person, right in college during, during an internship was a pianist. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> Someone wow. that, that almost kind of got me geared up in, in the positivity mode or like the setting of the goals and having, you know, your dreams and go for them. It was, it was a retired pianist, French, re, uh, he was retired, you know, uh, uh, from France and he lived in Morocco and, uh, he was at a hotel, which was a, uh, it was a very upscale hotel. And he was the actual pianist there. And I was doing an internship there and we became friends. And for about two months, I was there and he was every day, he was teaching me live, you know, things and telling mm -hmm. me, you know, about things and how to maneuver my life going forward. And, and even him and I, you know, I hope he's still alive because we lost, you know, touch, you know, it's been a long time, uh, but, but. He did, he did almost describe a little bit my path. And today I can see a lot of stuff that he said. He was able to see where I could be in the future. Mm -hmm. and, and he was able to tell me like, you know, if you do this, and this is where you're going to be. And if he's alive, it, it happened. It did happen exactly how we pre he actually presented it. And Wonderful. I came from this. But again, it's just, I wanted to relate that to you because uh, uh, again, talking about music and touching people, it can touch you in a lot of different ways. It sure um, can in a lasting way. It is, life. it is. And that's, that's staying with me for life. And actually I use his, his pitch to me actually in trainings, <laughs> mm -hmm, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, so it was just an amazing experience for me. So one additional question, uh, is there any musician that inspired you specifically throughout your career or any, whether musician, any type of musician or singer or, or an artist in general? Well, there are several people that would fit in that category. One, I have to give credit to my high school choral teacher, who was also, when I was in elementary school, he was our a traveling music teacher that would come around to all the elementary schools and teach us all these wonderful campfire songs that, you know, that everybody, kids love to sing. And when I was in high school, he was our choral director. And if you've seen the movie, Mr. Holland's Opus, mm -hmm. he was my Mr. Holland. He, 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 took all us country kids and he made us great, do some great things with music and some musical plays. And so Uncle Pat Alderman was his name. And if you go to my hometown and ask anybody there, you know, do they remember Uncle Pat? Oh yes, <laughs> they remember Uncle Pat. And then uh, as I began to explore my music as a piano player and as a, a choir director and whatever, I had another composer his name was John W. Peterson. He was a religious composer who wrote 
he wrote thousands of songs. He, he, he was a pro prolific songwriter. And his songs were ahead of their time in terms of the, the structure of the music. They, were, they weren't jazz, but they were not the straight chords that were in a normal hymn that you would sing in church. His songs had a lot of modern feel to them with, you know, using uh, major seventh chords and other what we would call jazz chords in the song. And so I conducted all of the con cantatas that he produced with the choirs that I directed. And so he was an inspiration of his his music that all the songs he wrote were, were just my favorite songs. And so my I was I would wanted to before he passed away, I wanted to meet him in person. So in, in the late 90s, uh, we were going to a wedding in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I found out that he lived he had retired there. I wrote him a letter and asked him if there was any way that I could come and see him. I would be so honored to just meet him in person. <laughs> Anywhere, it, whatever. He wrote me back. He invited me and my wife to come to his home and spend an hour or so with him and his wife. And I got to meet John W. Peterson, and I got to play Rachel's song for Mr. Peterson on his grand piano in his living room. And I'll never forget that. He was so gracious and kind and just to spend those one hour or so with me. And he's since, of course, passed away. But that was a heavy influence on my life. And then you go on into the people that I've really hardly ever met in person, and people like Roger Williams, the great pianist, the, the wonderful piano player. I was able to hear him in concert about two months before he passed away. And his, I did get to send Rachel's song to him way early on. I thought, wow, if Roger Williams would record Rachel's song, that would just be a worldwide number one hit. You know what he wrote me back and told me? He said, this song is so special. And he said, that your recording of Rachel's song is perfect. He said, I, I could not improve upon this. He said, if I recorded it, it would take away from what you have produced with this Rachel song. It is so special and unique. And I, I, I really don't think he was just trying to put me off. I think he was sincere in saying that he did not want to mess with my song, so to speak, and record it. So I did get that back from Roger Williams. And then uh, let's see who else. Uh, you know, there's people like Henry Mancini that were just big, uh, big people that I looked up to with for music. And those are the kind of influences on me and in, in my music. <laughs> this, this particular hour and a half has been almost a, a journey of of just so much <laughs> so much stuff that we've covered today and 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 i mean it's getting to the end of the show and i just had enjoyed every bit of it every single second not even minute uh, it, it just the story itself just took us i mean i didn't feel the first hour just to be honest with you it was so quick <laughs> yeah. and it was so interesting you were like really and the way you just it, you believe in it, you you experience it, and you share with people with real compassion and passion, and it's really genuine, right? And I do want for folks to really, really take and absorb as much from the show. There's so many lessons uh, that have been put out, you know, by by our guest today. It's not even funny. I mean, Dave, thank you for <laughs> a lot of insights. You know that many would probably spend hours and maybe of school or others just to, to to learn sometimes even a real world you know through hard experiences to actually get to them and you've covered some of those with us as valuable insights uh definitely your music and by the way 
I would love to actually use, you know, a piece of, of this on the show. I but I sure. would, but I won't be able to do it because of the copyrights. I'm I'm pretty sure that's gonna be a challenge with with some of these uh, social media companies. Uh, well, because on YouTube and all these other yeah, they, um, yeah, they, they will you know claim <laughs> you know yeah. they will claim copyright, copyright claim, yeah. Yeah. However, I, I do I will have it on on the non uh you know, I'll have it on the, the channel and things like that so people can actually see it. I'll have I'll I even play it on the radio. So uh it is a, a private radio, so but people can listen to it. And by the way, to to, to your point earlier, uh, like at night I, I do play the easy listening, the jazz, so mm -hmm. you can mellow down classic music, things like that. Mm -hmm. And during the day it's everything else. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. So so but but you know I want to thank you for for the opportunity uh, to be with us and sharing your lovely story and uh, you know about the book. I I do I want to put the the link to your book to your site to your information on the the the, the show's des description so people can actually have access to it. They can reach out to you. They can purchase the book. They can purchase the music. Um, so folks, feel free to reach out and uh, any way, shape, or form. And uh, you have any questions, you probably can send them to Dave and. Uh, I, I'm not sure if you you interact with people and, and, and I do. You know, it, I've made it very simple. All all people have to remember is my last name, Combs, C O M B S, and it's CombsMusic.com. And when you get to my website page, it's very simple. On the left side of the page is my book. On the right side is my CD of Rachel's song, and with links underneath it to go to Amazon and purchase the the music or the book. But in the middle of my homepage, there's a link that says Play Rachel's Song. And it's the real deal. It is that original recording that I heard on August the 22nd, 1986 in the studio. It has not been remastered, remixed, anything. That is that demo recording. And so when you hear it, you're going to hear when Gary starts playing the electric piano part. You're going to hear when the low strings come in, the high strings. You're going to hear the horns. You're going to know that and, and close your eyes and just sit there with me in the studio and a absorb that music i think you'll i think you'll love it but that's right on my homepage, combsmusic.com and we will do i will do personally i don't know folks you're listening watching do that and i'll probably you know uh play it on on the radio so at least as the show plays it will go before it so mm -hmm. people can listen to it and uh, absolutely that'll be part of the, the the show's intro on the on the radio it's private so i don't have any copyright issues so people can actually mm -hmm. enjoy it and and again please reach out you know and 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 get the book i mean uh is that the only book by the way or you have that's um, my only book that was my first so far my first book it was it took a long time to write it but uh uh, and Jack Canfield wrote the forward to my book. You know, he's he has been a big supporter of me and my music. He loved Rachel's song and he encouraged me to write the book. And he was so encouraging. He wrote the forward to my book. So I'm deeply honored to Jack for his support of me and my music. Well, Dave, thank you. And thank you for everyone that actually helped you throughout your journey and, and, and all the stuff that they've done for you. And thank you, Linda, for being a, a good, a good, uh, you know, well, listen, you've been married for uh, quite a bit. <laughs> 52 years, years coming up 52 yeah so congratulations on that and thank you, know, you. That's true that's true relationship that's true marriage and true love and and you know in, in good bad ugly everything in journey <laughs> you know you know that's that's the consistency and you know that's also a message for our folks here listen it, it it's not easy but it's both you had to move because of her family she was there for you and all that stuff happened so i just want to again thank her again <laughs> for doing that and being there for you thank um, you so that being said uh, any last words of wisdom that we want to share with our audiences? 
Well, I just want to personally thank you. I had no, well, I did have some idea of what this interview was going to go like, but I had no idea it was going to be this much fun and this this much uh, enjoyment to, to talk with you this evening. It's just been a real pleasure, and uh, and I, I really want to really thank you for having me on as your guest. That was, it's been great. Well, thank you. The honor is mine. The privilege is mine. And, uh, you know, I'm always inspired and always can learn from folks who have gone through a success story such as yourself. Uh, and folks, you know, I think that's that's the end of our show today. Uh, I I hope that you enjoyed every moment of it. It is a little long, but it's it literally it will go fast. If you listen to this, you would not even know that you actually had the end until the end. But 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 I have to say, you know, uh, I enjoyed every moment with David and um we're friends now. We'll, we'll continue. Maybe we'll do a comeback later on and maybe discuss more stuff. Maybe we'll talk about some of the stories. I don't know. We can talk about it off, offline. Yep. So so that being said, I'm your host, Hurricane H. Uh, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. We'll be talking soon. New day, new show, new topic. Bye for now.